Would y'all join me in a word of prayer? Gracious God, we're so grateful for the, the gift of life that you've given to us today. We're so thankful for the beauty of your creation and the opportunity to, to sit and delight in your goodness this morning. Father, we thank you for your word by which you've made yourself known to us and, and, and the way in which you, you teach us how we ought to live our lives and the ways that are best for us. And so God, as we turn our attention towards your word this day, uh, would you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds? Would you make fertile soil of our lives for your word to fall upon and to bear much fruit? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. One other uh, thing just to address here at the beginning. I'm, I'm wearing a hat today. Uh, please know that's not any sign of, of disrespect. I have a massive fear of ticks. Uh, it's a hugely outsized fear for how small of creatures they are. Uh, but I know too many people that have been bitten by ticks and can no longer eat meat. And I love meat too much to risk it. So uh, not to make any of you without hats paranoid, just check yourself when you get home today. Uh, but I'm going to wear a hat this morning. And the hat says pray for surf. So it's a Christian hat. It's, it's okay. And please do that. Pray for surf regularly. <clears throat> Uh, today we are beginning uh, a new sermon series that we're going to be in uh, for most of the next seven weeks leading up to our, no, the November 3rd elections, where as a nation we are going to elect uh, the next president of the United States along with uh, many other uh, legislators who will help lead our nation. And to help us prepare for this season that we're entering into, to help us to know how to engage with one another through the midst of it, uh, both those within and, and without, uh, outside of the church, uh, both those who agree with us in our polit political views and those who don't, uh, we are going to be in a series considering the politics of the kingdom. Jamar Tisby, uh, in his video series, The Color of Compromise, which presses into the church's complicity in the issues of race and racism in the history of our country, which a number of men in the church uh, went through this summer, he said that he thought that talking about issues of race in the church would be the most controversial thing he could possibly do. But partway through the series, as he began to engage issues of the moral majority and the religious right and the the evangelicals as a voting block of the Republican Party. He said he realized that race wasn't even close to the most controversial thing that he could discuss in the church. Instead, it was politics that was far more divisive and controversial than even race was. So the question that I've been wrestling with this week and, and even this morning in my own heart is, why in the world am I doing this? <laughs> But why would we dip our toes into these divisive and controversial waters? Because there's many people who would argue that we shouldn't. They would argue that when we look at the public ministry of Jesus, that we see that he avoided any involvement in the current political issues of his day, and so we should also. They would argue that there's nothing recorded in the New Testament about Jesus speaking out against political issues, and that nothing in his teaching gives even the slightest hint that he had any political involvement 
whatsoever. They would argue that Jesus often withdrew from confrontations with the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the, the legal and religious rulers of his day. He withdrew from those confrontations rather than engaging with them. They would argue that he, he refused to get into even the most universal political debate that we all engage in at some time and regarding the paying of taxes. And that when that issue came up, he, he settled it quietly rather than creating dissension about it. They would argue that although he was charged before Pilate for politically stirring up the people with his teaching, that he never actually incited the Jewish people against the Roman government. In fact, after Jesus miraculously fed the crowd of 5,000 people with a few fish and a few loaves of bread, and he perceived that the crowds were about to take him by force in order to make him their king, that Jesus resisted their efforts. And he withdrew to a mountain by himself, refusing to, to lead or be involved in any kind of political movement, even when it was being handed to him. In fact, Jesus didn't just turn down the opportunity to be the king of Israel. Earlier in his life, he had received the ultimate political prize and was offered the opportunity to rule over all of the kingdoms of the earth. Yet he turned down that offer as well. Jesus didn't allow his disciples to publicly tell others that he was the Messiah. He instructed Peter and James and John to tell no one of his transfiguration, which revealed his glory as the king of kings. And so the argument is that although Jesus was the promised Messiah, the one who was to rightfully rule over Israel, and the true king of all kings, still he refused to become involved in any of the political issues of his day. And so we, as his followers, should avoid them as well. And if I asked for a response, there are probably some of you who would say, Amen to that. But while many would argue that the church shouldn't engage in the issue of politics, others would argue that we must. They would argue for the, from the very beginning of creation that God has given a stewardship mandate to human beings to tend to and to care for His creation, which requires engagement, active engagement in the issues of our world. And that in the New Testament, Civic responsibility is emphatically commanded as a part of our obligation to serve God. In 1 Peter 2.17, the apostle says, In one breath, fear God and honor the emperor. It's the same truth that Paul spotlights near the end of Romans when he's describing our Christian response to the good news of the gospel that he lays out in the first part of Romans. In chapter 13, as part of that Christian response, he says that Christians should be subject to the governing authorities which are given by God for our good. And he tells them that for the sake of their conscience, they should give to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, Honor to whom honor is owed. These folks would argue that, that our respect for and our engagement in the political systems of this world are a part of our Christian response to the love and grace that God has given to us. And that scriptures forbid us to be indifferent to the benefits that flow from good government. And therefore, we should not hesitate to play our part in maximizing those benefits for the good of our neighbor 
and for ourselves. As one Christian member of the European Parliament put it, to try to improve society is not worldliness, but love. To wash your hands of society is not love, but worldliness. They would argue that we must see political engagement as a part of our service to both God and neighbor. So which one is it? As Christians, can we engage in the politics of our day or can't we? Uh, Should we get involved in the public policies and, and political parties of this world or should we not? How critically have you thought about that question in your own life? I want to suggest this morning that for a faithful Christian, the answer to this question of should we or shouldn't we, can we or can't we, must be yes. We certainly can, but we undoubtedly can't. And we clearly shouldn't, but we obviously must. And while that may seem like a confusing non-answer answer, I believe it is exactly in line with the thread that Jesus wove through this tension-fraught path in his own life and ministry. For on the one hand, Jesus was absolutely engaged in politics. Did you hear what was read in our scripture reading this morning? In the prophecy of his birth, from Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah stated that the Son of God would come to reign and rule on the earth and that a government would be upon his shoulders. And the prophecy states that of the increase of his government, there will be no end. According to the scriptures, Jesus is the leader of a government that will never stop growing and expanding and increasing. And as a result of this government, peace and righteousness and justice will be established and upheld over all of the earth. From long before his birth, Jesus of Nazareth was undoubtedly a political figure. But Jesus' political engagement goes deeper still because he's not just the governor of a government. He's actually the king over a kingdom. For throughout all of his public ministry, Jesus was consistently speaking about a kingdom. And he regularly engaged people about this kingdom and pointed them to the coming kingdom, exhorting them to be prepared and ready for its arrival. He said that it was near, that it was close at hand, that it was present in his presence. We we like to think of Jesus as, as savior and as friend and as brother. And he is all of those things. But he is also, and he is perhaps foremost, a king over a kingdom. We often think of Jesus as Lord over our lives, but do we really ever think about what it means that he is king over a kingdom? What are the implications of that reality for our engagement in the current political realm? Jesus was undoubtedly a political figure, but he wasn't political in the ways of this world. And that's what we saw in our gospel reading from John chapter 18. For as Jesus was being accused of leading a political coup 
for refusing to deny that he was indeed the king of the Jews. He stated to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. He didn't deny that he was the king. He actually affirmed it. But he did acknowledge that he was a king in a very different way than the kings of this world are kings. And he gave an example saying that if his kingdom were of this world, that his servants would be there fighting for his release. And what a sight that would have been. But his servants weren't there fighting for his release. Because though, although Jesus was clearly engaged in politics, he didn't do so in the way that our world does. He engaged political issues in an entirely different way from the ways of the world. And so we should too. So the answer is yes. We have to be involved in politics because we have a king and we are part of a kingdom. But at the same time, we can't be involved in politics because this kingdom is not of this world. And so we clearly shouldn't be a political people, but at the same time, we absolutely must as followers of a king. This was the way of Jesus. And I believe that it is the way of his people as well. And the reason that this is so important, the reason that it's, it's worth risking walking into these controversial and divisive issues over the next seven weeks and pressing into this subject is because ultimately our involvement in politics isn't just a, a side hobby, kind of passive engagement of our mind. If we're not careful, it very easily becomes a centrally located, passionate affection of our hearts. And this is where I'm so concerned for the church and for her witness in the world. Let me explain what I mean by that. James K.A. Smith, in his book, Desiring the Kingdom, makes the argument that we as human beings are worshiping creatures, that we are created to worship, and we can't help but to worship. We are all worshiping all of the time. And he also argues that almost everything that we engage in throughout life is seeking to form us as worshipers and is seeking to shape our hearts after some version of the good life, politics included. And the way by which cultural entities do this, the way by which they try to shape us and form us as worshipers, is by first pointing us to an implicit notion of our brokenness, something that is akin to sin. They point out and they show us what is wrong with the world, what is wrong with us in our current state. And then secondly, they hold out the hope of redemption by what they have to offer, right? How is what they provide going to make our situation better? And finally, they provide a vision of human flourishing. What life will look like and taste like and smell like and be like when we choose what they have to offer. This is the pattern for forming a worshiper. If you think about it and reflect upon the political discourse of our day, this is exactly what is happening on both sides of the political aisle. Think about it. Both Republicans and Democrats, 
uh, point out to us their idea about what is wrong with the world as it is now, with our country as it is now. Republicans will argue that you will not be safe in Joe Biden's America. Democrats will argue that our way of life and, and the democratic freedom that we hold so dear is at stake if Donald Trump wins another term. They are both playing on our fears and, and problems in our world right now. They highlight what has fallen and broken about our world as it currently stands. And then secondly, they both hold out the hope of redemption by what they have to offer. For Republicans, it's four or eight more years of Donald Trump. If, if we only get that, we'll be okay. For Democrats, it's getting Donald Trump out of office by electing Joe Biden or any functioning adult, as some of the political signs will suggest. As long as that happens, everything will be all right. And then both parties provide a vision of human flourishing, of what life will look like and feel like and be like if, if, if that path is chosen. America will be great again under Donald Trump. And, and who doesn't want America to be great, right? Uh, everyone, not just the rich and powerful, but everyone will have a chance to flourish under democratic leadership and policies if, if that is chosen. And doesn't that sound great that everyone would be able to flourish? Both the Republicans and the Democrats proclaim this gospel narrative, a, a hope of good news, of a problem, a path to redemption, and a vision of the good life and what it will be like if we choose that way. And their respective news channels and media outlets spin this narrative 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It is literally a constant and non-stop message that we are bombarded with. And if you consume that message over and over and over again, hour after hour, day after day, which honestly is hard not to do because it's so present before us, but if you consume that message over and over and over again, you will eventually begin to believe that it is true. Your heart will be shaped and formed to believe that it's true. And if we're not really careful and wise and discerning and protecting of our hearts and our minds and our allegiances, we will eventually end up like the crowds in John chapter 19, crying out for Barabbas to be given to us instead of Jesus. We'll be calling for a, a crook to be given to us instead of our Lord and our King. If we're not careful, our politics will co-opt our faith. And we will forget or we will ignore that Jesus is our one true King and our only real and true hope. And we will unthinkingly give our allegiance to, and we will place our hope in another. And church, I know that may sound overly dramatic, but I have seen too many people in my own family, in the churches that I have been a part of, I've seen too many people get this line between politics and faith confused. And they throw their wholesale allegiance into partisan politics 
turning a blind eye to all of the problematic and ungodly aspects of the side that they've chosen. While elevating and emphasizing what they see as good, Christian values in the side that they choose. And as a result, they end up blatantly or silently endorsing issues that are blatantly ungodly, harmful to the flourishing of many, and damaging to our Christian witness in the world. And I've seen it on both sides of the aisle. In order to guard against this, we need to realize that there is a religious nature to our political institutions that has an effect on our Christian discipleship. And we need to recognize that these practices are not neutral and benign, but rather are intentionally seeking to form us into certain kinds of people, to unwittingly make us disciples of rival kings and citizens of rival kingdoms. And we must be on guard against it. Instead, our response to an overly partisan public arena should be neither to join one particular camp or another, nor to abandon our political imagination altogether. But rather, we should orient our allegiance towards the only kingdom that transcends parties and nations, tribes and tongues, cultures and generations. What the church needs is not to get rid of its political engagement, but it needs a new political vision, one that takes its cues about the nature of politics from the ultimate political reality, the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that we can't engage in the political process. In many ways, it means that we must. But we must do it with wisdom and discernment and as disciples of Jesus, whose first allegiance is only and always to Him and to the politics of His kingdom. And so for the next several weeks, what we're going to seek to do is to focus on the politics of the kingdom of God and to highlight some of the values of that kingdom which are evident in our scriptures. Throughout this series, I am, I am not going to try to tell you how to apply any of this to your lives. Uh, that is for you to do, to, for you to figure out how this expresses itself in your life and in your political engagement with the political sphere. There will be many ways to apply the things that we talk about. And, and you may come to vastly different opinions on that, even exactly opposite opinions. And that is okay. There can be differences of opinions of the best way to, to engage these things. My concern is that whatever decisions we do make in this arena for our lives, is that we are making those decisions not because of what we've heard on Fox or CNBC, but because of what we've heard from the NIV or from the ESV. In this heightened political season that we're heading into, church, let us make a renewed effort to make the kingdom of God our platform and our party affiliation. Let's always balance what we hear on the television and in the news with what we proclaim in the church. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and blessed be His kingdom, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Lord, may Your kingdom come. 
and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May that be the mantra of our heart. May that be what we proclaim with our lips. Not once a week at church, but every day and throughout the day as we walk through this season. Ultimately, that is the way we can have political engagement that is for God's glory and for our good. Amen. Every week here at Redeemer, when we're gathered, we take a moment after the Word of God is proclaimed in order to rest in that Word. So I want to invite you to take just a moment and in the quiet of your hearts, uh, consider how the Spirit of God may speak to you from His Word this day. And after a moment of quiet, we'll come forward and we'll pronounce the creed together, which again, it's the creed which defines what we believe and what we are to do about